Welcome to the CLS Experience. I'm your host, Craig Siegel. I'm a born and raised New Yorker who achieved success with multiple businesses, but I crave something deeper. So I dedicated myself to personal growth and transformation by revamping my mindset. I went from being unable to run a mile to conquering four marathons the following year. Now, I want to help others manufacture big breakthroughs of their own. It was the pointy toe and the high heel and the right arch, and they made my legs look amazing. So I'm standing in my dressing room in my bra and underpants, thinking, looking at my new shoes, and I thought, Alan's going to think I'm so stupid for spending $565 on a pair of perfectly plain shoes. So I walk out in my underwear, and I said, how do you like my new shoes? And he went, great legs. And then we both went, oh my God, that's the Master commercial. So when when we did the Thighmaster commercial, because we were looking for a hook for it, they started, the camera started on my feet in those shoes, I panned up my legs all the way up while Alan was off camera. He's got a great radio voice. He's going great legs. And um, we sold 10, 10 million Thighmasters and counting. <laughs> you were the face of the Thighmaster. And you still are. You will always be. And that'll be a legacy. No. So many other things that you have going on. On today's episode of the CLS Experience, we have a very special treat. She's a TV legend as well as Hollywood royalty, best known for her role as Chrissy Snow on Three's Company. She's a New York Times best-selling author multiple times over, a superstar singer, entrepreneur, and multifaceted legendary entertainer. She's the guru of all things fitness, health, beauty business and youth and my personal favorite the face of the thigh master she's one of america's most popular personalities and at age 74 years young she's never looked or felt better she's just an overall juggernaut in all facets of life and a terrific human being please welcome the iconic suzanne summers how you doing wow. Suzanne? <laughs> i should leave now while i'm ahead <laughs> <laughs> I did good by you for the intro. Uh, Yeah, really nice. Yeah, I I wrote it. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. In essence, you did. And like I was told you before we went off air, I know you do a lot of this. This is going to be much different. This one's going to hit definitely. I'm such a fan of yours. I grew up with the show and my family did as well. My mom is a diehard fan and we're going to manufacture magic and have a lot of fun today. Before we get started on the journey and so forth, because the audience loves to hear about the beginning parts. We're going to start off and we're going to get a little weird. Are you ready for me, Suzanne? Very, very ready for weird. Yeah. Let's do this. Suzanne, what is your superpower? I can tell what everybody's thinking in any room. Ooh. Okay. I always know. I walk in, I can assess any room. I know who's up, who's down, who's where. I feel it. I just feel it always. Is that because you have a really yeah. good intuition? No, I think, you know, out of every negative comes a positive. I'm a child of a violent alcoholic. I've written three books about that. And when you're a child of an alcoholic, you either get done in by it or you become a- adaptive. And so adaptive means uh, I could tell by the back of my dad's head how much he'd had to drink so far. And that would determine to me who I had to be so that uh, he wouldn't go after me. Like what mood is daddy today? And so that got me in this where I 
I can just pick up anybody's mood and what they're what they're going through. So that's a good thing that came out. Yeah. Of it. A lot of good came out of it. Yeah, that is a good thing, and that's pri- that really is a superpower. That's priceless. So I definitely yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Suzanne, describe yourself in three words. Um, smart, funny, and sexy. <laughs> Ooh, nailed it! Bang! I don't think anybody would dispute that. That's awesome. You know, you reach, a, you reach an age, you said 74 years young, where you just say it like it is. <laughs> 100%. And, and my dad's the same way. My father's in his 80s. And I noticed, like, I don't know if he was always like this, and I just noticed it, or as he gets older, he's more like this. He has less and less of a filter. He doesn't give a shit. He's just saying what's on his mind. Yeah. And, and less and less patience for people who don't um, enhance your life. You know, toxic peace, people have to be tossed at this stage. It's funny. I was just talking about that yesterday in one of my masterminds that I coach a bunch of clients. I was saying, get rid of the villains in your life. If they don't yeah. serve you, just have to goodbye. You yeah, know? you're so right. You're right. Yeah, they they um, they drag you down. Yeah, we don't need that. Life's too short for that. Yeah. What's something really interesting about you that a lot of people might not know? I'm an amazing cook. Amazing cook. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, people in my circle just beg me to cook dinner for them. I just have always known how to cook. That That also, see, out of every negative comes a positive. That also came out of my childhood. Um, my mother was always frazzled. And so all of her dinners got burned or overcooked or, you know, I always thought all vegetables were kind of mushy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then when I was five, I was given a book called, a golden book, called Susie's Cookbook. And I thought it was written about me. And uh, it was really an incredible book for a child because you could make the recipes. And the, the most uh, spectacular recipe was called Candle Salad. So here's Candle Salad. You put a, a, a pineapple ring on a plate. You put some cottage cheese in the middle of the pineapple. You cut a, bun, a, a, a banana in half and stick it in the cottage cheese and then you put a maraschino cherry on the top, and that's your candle salad. It's very phallic, also. Uh, but when you're that's five, delicious. yeah, when you're five, it's a sense of real accomplishment, and everybody, because you're five, goes, "Well, look what you did." <laughs> so I got confidence because of candle salad. And I then my next thing I made story. was my next thing I made was beef stroganoff. That was still Ooh. at five. So I had a, I had the feel. Do you still like to cook to this day? I, cook, I imagine uh, you do. I cook pretty much every night. I start thinking Which about, it, you know, like tonight we're having, I'm marinating um, grass-fed organic baby lamb chops and garlic and rosemary. and. Lots of, of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be good. <laughs> it's going to be scrumptious. I love that. When was the last time you had an unbelievable belly laugh, Suzanne? Um... Belly laugh. Haven't been a lot of belly laughs this year. Um, I know. I know. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, (laughs) Uh, I have a cat. And um, it actually was last night. I don't know if you've ever had a cat. Most people hate cats. I've had cats all my life. And there's a sound they make. 
uh, on certain nights in the middle of the night. Here's the sound. And they, they throw up hairballs. And I don't know why it struck me so funny last night at 3 o'clock in the morning. Like, uh, here we go again. So that's the first thing you think about. When Alan got out of bed this morning, I said, beyond the lookout, I heard a noise last night. You don't want to step in that. <laughs> a certain people are either cat people or they're not. I don't mind them at all, but I've always had dogs. Yeah. Yeah, and just the fact that you say I don't mind them is, is a real clue as to your feeling about cats. Yeah. They're, um, you know, I've, I've been on the road most of my career, and growing up, uh, cats, um, you know, they ate table scraps and things like that, so they weren't expensive. But when you're on the road, it's much easier to have a cat because you can leave them alone, and they just, when you come back, they're not happy, but they think that was a really long night. You might have been gone for a week, you know. But if you left a dog alone for a week, when I say alone, there's somebody in the in the house, but uh, not the, the mom and the dad kind of thing. If you left a dog alone that long, by the time you got home, they'd be crying. <laughs> Cats are very independent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were gone. We went to um, Malibu for Fourth uh, of July weekend. So when we came back on Tuesday. She's waiting at the door for us, and as soon as we walked in, she turns her back and, and won't talk to us. She didn't talk to us for two days. She was letting you know that she missed you, but also don't leave me alone that much. Yeah, I was not happy. This is not as it should be. <laughs> I understand. That's great. Suzanne, with everything that you've done right now at this point of your life, what makes you feel most alive? Mm, I wish I could answer two things, but... Yeah. I mean, I love writing the books. What a privilege. I've written 27 books. Uh, and and they fall out of me. I'm Irish. You know, we either drink or write. I do both. <laughs> uh, but Wait, I... You're Irish? How come yeah. you compare it to tequila, not whiskey? Because I hate whiskey. Uh, <laughs> you know, I never drank a hard liquor drink in my life until five years ago. I, I, I drank white wine. And I'm writing books about, you know, women. It's socially acceptable for women to go out and drink white wine and nobody kind of looks sideways at them. But if you see a bunch of women sitting around a lunch table drinking hard liquor, you think, whoa, hardcore. It's so true. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's true. And then I also noticed the women who drink white wine at lunch are all getting kind of puffy, puffy arms and puffy necks and things like that. And I thought, what's all that sugar? So I told my kids, I said, I'm not going to drink white wine anymore, but I, I like having a cocktail. They said, drink tequila. And I said, well, I've never had tequila. And I tasted it, and I like it. So now Al and I, every night at 5 o'clock, we meet at we, what our outdoor bar called Big Al's Bar. And a lot of my Facebook Live shows are from Big Al's Bar. I know. And we have a stiff tequila, not a wimpy one, a stiff one. <laughs> what does that mean, Stiff. Well, probably it's probably a, a double in a glass full of ice. It's probably what is it? so. I feel like I'm only having one drink, but probably I'm having two drinks in one glass. Understood. And um, you know what happens? We talk different. We uh, I wrote my whole Las Vegas act sitting at Big Al's bar, and best reviews I ever got in my whole life because in my in my Vegas life because um, the act was so real. And funny, and sometimes when you write uh, jokes or material when you've been drinking, the next day it's not funny at all. But this was, and um, 
And sometimes we have cool music on, and sometimes we dance, and it's very romantic. So it's it. nice. The other thing, when you said, I said two things, I love, love, love performing on stage. And my most recent, recent residency at the Westgate Hotel, I had my own room. And uh, when I was growing up in Vegas, and I mean from Three's Company on, I was headlining there. The show I loved the most, the most, the most, the most was Frank Sinatra's show. I went as often as I could. I loved the way he walked out with a drink. He kind of just talked to us, and it, it felt like it was just rolling out of him. And so my most recent residency, I didn't walk out with a drink, but I, I had that kind of flow. And maybe it's because I'm old enough now to just read you. Uh, I can feel in the audience what you mean. I know where you are. I, I stand in front of the curtain before it opens, and I just listen. And I can hear if uh, if it's Friday night, it, they're all keyed up. If it's uh, Sunday, they're usually kind of tired. And just learn to read an audience. And it's that's the thrill for me, just to connect with them in a way that if this is said to me after the show, someone comes to my dressing room and says, I feel like you were talking just to me, then I know I succeeded because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to talk to you. That's great. And that goes back and ties into what your superpower is, the ability to understand people's thoughts and kind of get engaged where they're at. So I love yeah, that. Very, very astute. You're right. <laughs> yeah. And also, because I'm such a big fan of yours, in addition to the fact that preparation breeds confidence, I wanted to show you the respect you deserve by doing homework. I know that you had a relationship with Frank and he gave you some of the best advice that you ever got with <laughs> me on stage. Is that accurate? He did. He did. On on Sunday nights, when Frank um, was in town, it's interesting, when Frank was on the Vegas Strip, it was like the the light shone brighter. There was more electricity in the city. Everybody was aware that Frank Sinatra was down at that hotel. And on Sunday nights, when he was closing, he would invite all the headliners up and down the Strip. And so we'd be in the dressing room with I remember nights with Rodney Dangerfield and Sammy, Sammy Davis Jr. and George Carlin and uh, Shirley MacLaine and Liza Minnelli and um, all of them, all, all of those people. So one night, Frank comes over to me and goes, you know, kid, you got a good sound. I said, thank you. He said, you're not breathing right. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're breathing like all those singing teachers teach you. I said, you mean from the diaphragm? He says, yeah. He said, you got to sing from your peak. I said, what's your peep? And he looks down, he goes, your peep. You sing from your peep and you pull from your behind. And when I started pushing the notes out from my peep and my behind, I, I had more range. I, everything was better. So I have a singing peep. <laughs> Frank helped facilitate a breakthrough for you. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and I know that Frank, uh, like I'm, I d- didn't study, vocals I, you know you sing or you don't sing and no, neither did Frank and the way he learned to breathe was by uh, lying on the bottom of a swimming pool and seeing how long he could hold air it's all about air and, and um, the way you can control your air and when you hear people singing from their third eye those really high um, uh, on pitch high long notes is because they know how to conserve their air and use their air properly that's great. It's interesting. It's an it's a, it's a art form. That is a very interesting. Yeah. Definitely an art yeah. form. I appreciate you sharing that with us. <laughs> we'll do one more weird one, and then we'll dive in a little bit about the beginning so we'll get a taste of the journey. All right. What is your definition, Suzanne, of success? 
success is the life I'm living. I, I, I wake up, honest to God, happy. Uh, I love my life. I love my husband. We have the best time. I love my family. I love my work. I love where I live. I can't believe that I live the life I live. So, uh, you know, there's nothing during the day that I dread. So um, I hope many, 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 many people on the planet have the same kind of success as me because it's, it's, uh, it's happy with who you are. And also at this age, I know who I am. It takes a long time to know who you are. It's so beautiful. And I imagine you live with a lot of gratitude. Like you said, like there's never a, a bad day. A lot of gratitude. Whenever a, 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 any darkness comes in, I push it right away and think about how lucky I am. And who wouldn't, how many billions of people wouldn't change lives with me in, in a nanosecond? I was saw a homeless woman on a park bench. Um, I think a couple, I guess I was coming back from Malibu. And I looked over at her and I thought, and she's all rummy and the shopping cart was there. And I thought, wow, you would trade lives with me in a nanosecond. I am so lucky. But I created my life too. So. Yes, you did. I did. Of course you did. And I appreciate that. I want to acknowledge you for that. And I love everything you said. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. I know what you're thinking. Can one cultivate a bulletproof mindset or do they have to be born with it? The answer is as follows. We create our own reality. Want to develop and acquire the mindset techniques to completely revamp your mind, alter your perspective, see opportunities where you want to limitations, tap into all your potential, and cultivate confidence on command? CLS Universe. I bring to you for the first time ever, once in a lifetime, the entire Moonshot Masterpiece Experience online course. Jam-packed. With all the tools and strategies I use to launch CLS into another stratosphere, filled with modules, worksheets, how to tangibly transform into the 2.0 version of yourself and display your gifts to the world. Very simple. Go to CultivateLastingSymphony.com, tap programs, and then bang, begin your moonshot today. Let's stop acting like we're going to live twice. Thank me later. You dig? We'll start at the beginning a little bit. We'll jump around. You grew up in California, correct? I did, Northern California, a little town called San Bruno. It was a very uh, middle-class, uh, working, blue-collar town. All I wanted to do was get out of San Bruno. Now, it's that's where Google headquarters are, and everybody in San Bruno is rich. And these little houses that I grew up with, that I think my parents paid 36000 for their house, they're going for a couple million now. It's all inflated. But um, I, I always knew there was more. And then my mother sent me to a Catholic girls' school. That's a great fit, isn't it? And, uh, <laughs> and, um, but what I did see at the Catholic girls' school was, as the Catholics do, people leave them their mansions. And so the school was this mansion in a ritzy uh, part of the uh, peninsula called Hillsborough. And I remember day one walking in, looking at this house, i.e. school, and the house had a foyer and, and then a ballroom and uh, anterooms. And I remember thinking, okay. So I liked the building, but man, did I not fit in that school. And I eventually was expelled. <laughs> expelled? Yeah, I was expelled from high school. 
for wearing my skirts too short. I just didn't fit the mold. And that was good, too. I'm a big believer, as you'll hear, that all negatives are opportunities. I'm a big believer because I then had to go to the public school, and they had a great fine arts department. And um, I had two teachers, both of whom were very sexually inappropriate. Very. I mean, I didn't have sex with them because I was a virgin in high school. Remember that? Remember when girls were virgins in high school? <laughs> I remember. <laughs> but in, in retrospect, these two men, were they, they had no boundaries. But they saw some talent in me. And uh, besides wanting me to come early to school and stay late after rehearsal um, and talk about, you know, my subtext, which I didn't even know what that was, um, I, I got the lead in the musical, Guys and Dolls. I was Adelaide. And uh, it's interesting because it wasn't hard for me. I just fell right into it. I knew how to be her. I knew how to sing like her. I knew how to dance like her. And on the closing night, one of the characters in uh, Guys and Dolls uh, uh, was Nathan Detroit. And that was based on a guy by the name of Walter Winchell, who back at that time had probably the biggest, but probably the only uh, nationally, I don't know if it, if it was even syndicated then. I don't know how people listened to things back then, but it was his radio show. And it had a very distinct sound. It was a ticker tape. And it had this ticker tape sound and then go, this is Walter Winchell. And he would wear a, um, a beige trench coat and a, and a pork pie hat. Well, anyway, how? He heard about this high school musical and he happened to be near there. So he came. And after the show, he walked up on stage and walked right to me and he goes, you're going someplace, sister. Such a New York kind of thing. And um, that's how I got my scholarship to college. Uh, but I never got to stay because the first time I did have sex, I got pregnant. And I, my scholarship was to a Catholic women's college. It wasn't going to work. <laughs> so I'm, I'm self-taught and uh, a mother of, of a, I guess he's 55 now. I'm 74. I had him when I was uh, 18. So maybe he's, I don't know, what's that, 56? I should know. It's my son. But anyway, I did a good job. He's not a drug addict. He's not an alcoholic. I raised him by the seat of my pants. And um, I look at him and I feel proud because I could have screwed him. Imagine having a teenager for a mother. And I divorced his father within the first year. So it was just a, just this little boy and me. Yeah. But um, uh, he, uh, he talks about those years uh, with bliss. I think the hardest thing for him was when I fell in love with Alan Hamill, because then it wasn't all about my son. He had to share me. He's still in therapy, so maybe that's why. Got <laughs> 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 to get over it. <laughs> You're the best. Thank you for being so vulnerable and pulling back the curtain and sharing all these fantastic gems. I know the audience loves to get an inside scoop and, and so forth. I wanted to ask you, the person that told you, you're going places. Did that yeah. give you a ton of confidence or did you already have it and you kind of had the vision anyway? No, I had no confidence. Remember, I was a, an abused child and, yeah. and two men, they were moving in on me. Um, it was, when I look back on it, I think, wow, wow. Um, but this guy, everybody made a big deal about him. I didn't really know who Walter Winchell was. But um, that was the first time someone praise me like that and it made me 
stop and think. I guess from that moment on, it gave me that confidence. But then when I, you know, got pregnant, I lost all the confidence again. Yeah. When I, when I, uh, the first week that I was, had the privilege of being cast as Chrissy Snow on Three's Company. And I'm, I, I, I'm not mysterious, as you're probably finding out. So I say what I'm thinking. And I said to everybody, I am so honored to be here. I've never studied acting, but I did have the leading guys in dolls in high school. And this, this whole John Ritter and Joyce DeWitt has got degrees up the wazoo. And the producers, they all looked at me like, oh, well, this isn't a place where you come to learn. I said, I learned really fast, which I did. So, um, but that created a little angst on the set, particularly with Joyce, who was so accomplished and so studied. And then I was the one who was getting the Golden Globes and the Emmys and all the awards and everything. Because I don't think acting's that hard. You, it's pretend. And I was always great at playing house as a little girl and cooking and doing all that stuff. And so... Uh, when I got the lay of the land on Three's Company, you know, Jack and Janet and Chrissy, and we're in this bedroom and he's in that bedroom, and uh, it felt real easy for me. I would just play house, and um, I'd morph into Chrissy. I wanted her to be, because dumb blondes are just so unlikable. How do I make a dumb blonde that is likable and lovable? And so I gave her a moral code. She'd never tell a lie. Um, she was naive but not stupid, and um, uh, she'd never take your husband or boyfriend ever. Uh, she'd always do the right thing. And so when you have those parameters, uh, then your lines stay within that box, and you know what she will and won't do. And I think it was near the end of year two when Chrissy was about to deliver a line, and the audience laughed before I said it because they knew what I was going to say, and I realized, wow, she's gotten under their skin. And if you think about it, if you watched as a little boy, you probably could, you probably knew what Chrissy was going to do next. Sure. You know? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, but that's part of the charm. Yeah. 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 So at that time, all of a sudden you had all this spotlight and obviously a ton of attention and so forth. I imagine your life changed drastically at that moment. Was that a lot to take in, a lot to handle? Can you imagine? Going for, well, you know, I didn't realize what I did bring to the table. I was known, uh, although I didn't realize I was known, uh, as the girl who was always on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And I'd written that book of poetry. The way that happened was in 1973. Three things happened in 1973. I got the part in American Graffiti, One Night's Work, as Mysterious Blonde and the Thunderbird. I wrote my first book of poetry. Don't even know how I got that published, but I got it published. And then I read in the trades. I don't even know where I got the trades that uh, Dom DeLuise, I don't know if you remember him, he had a sitcom and they were looking for a guest star. And they described her as a small town girl, doesn't know who she is and doesn't know what she looks like. And I was smart enough to go, that is so me. So I told Alan Hamill, which is the real reason I wanted to go to L.A. so I could spend the night with him. I was so in love with him. Uh, I have an audition Tuesday at NBC Burbank at 2 o'clock. I didn't know you needed an agent. I didn't know anything. Bluff, bluff uh, uh, is, uh, becomes reality. 
So he picks me up at the airport. We had that great kiss at the airport. And then he drives me to Burbank. And um, we pull up. Why are you here? I'm here for the Dom DeLuise show. Because I was. And, okay, park over here. So I go in. I don't know anything. I haven't been on an audition like this. But I see all these girls who are much better looking than me. Uh, they go up to the receptionist. They uh, sign in. And then the receptionist gives them a script. So I went over and signed in. She gave me a script. So now I'm called in, and uh, the guy's name was Sam Denoff. I eventually ended up working for him in a, on another show, great comedy writer. And I read for him, he goes, very nice. And I'm thinking, I know, I'm a small-town girl. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I look like. He said, I'm going to give you a callback. I said, well, thank you. So I go out to the receptionist, and I said, I have a callback. She said, well, good for you. I said, what is that? She said, they're, they're going to call you back. Oh, oh, When? She shrugs her shoulder. I said, like, today? She says, yeah, today. Oh, well, where do I go? And now I'm her problem. So she's now a little irritated. And she said a few words to me that changed my life. She said, I don't know. Why don't you go wait in the commissary? So I go over to the commissary. I'm sitting there all by myself. Now it's about 3 in the afternoon. No one's there. And I'm sitting there, and the cafeteria door opens, and it's Johnny Carson. I go, oh, my God, there's Johnny Carson. And then he's walking, and I thought, I think Johnny Carson is coming to talk to me. And he comes up to me, and he goes, hey, little lady, what are you doing here? And I said, I, I have a callback, because now I had some lingo, right? <laughs> 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 and I said, Dom Dolores, oh, Dom's a good friend of mine. And, uh, well, I hope you get it. And I didn't have an 8 by 10 I didn't have anything, but I did have my little book of poetry that had my picture on the front. So I just... Shoved it at him. He said, well, thanks a lot. That was Wednesday. And Friday night of that week, I was booked on The Tonight Show, my first national television appearance. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, they must love my poetry. And I bought a, a new dress because who has a dress for The Tonight Show? It was $75, and I wrote a bad check. Oh, I'll figure that one out later. That's another trait of children at all college. They're unrealistic. And uh, I hear Johnny say, well... We've all been wondering who the mysterious blonde in the Thunderbird was. Well, we found her. Now, I hadn't even seen the movie because I didn't have the money to go to the movie. And I walked out, and the audience went, woo. And Johnny loved me because I was a small-town girl. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I looked like. And I, he'd asked me, you know, he said, when did you get to town? I said, today. I was just literal. And he started having me on every month, reading him one of my poems, and then he'd make faces and that book became the number one best-selling book of poetry in America, along with uh, Rod McEwen. What a journey. So, yeah, it, it, you know, you follow the flow, and it seems to take you where you're supposed to go. Yeah, and it's so crazy. Like, you can't plan this type of stuff. Like, you can only connect the dots, as Steve Jobs right. said, looking backwards. And every, every single step on your journey led to the next. I'm very selective and strict when using any types of products, period. However, the CLS experience is all about elevating your state and getting the mind right as it is our biggest asset in life. Something I've incorporated into my life is CBD, specifically sweat CBD. Just like this podcast, sweat CBD is all about enhancing your state designed to optimize your physical and mental well-being. I personally love their products, specifically the oil and the gummies. I've tried a few different CBD brands. 
and products. And to me, this is the most natural feeling. I love their products and what the brand stands for. The founder of Sweat CBD is a dear friend of mine, and she's offering the entire audience, all the listeners, CLS family and universe, a special promo code. Enter CLSCBD at sweatcbd.com. Enjoy. I love you all. When you were done with Three's company, at that moment, was there like a little bit of a, a transition where there was an identity crisis? Like now what? Well, I don't know if you know this, but I was fired. Yes. Yeah. So um, I was not ready to leave that show. I was just renegotiating my six-year-old contract that, you know, when I signed on, I just signed on. I didn't care what they paid me. But now year six, I was the one with all the awards and all the magazine covers. Who's and, the star of the show? Let's be honest. Yeah. And, and the men were being paid 10 to 15 times more than me. It's a lot. And I remember thinking, are they 10 to 15 times better than Chrissy Snow? I don't think so. And so um, my husband went in to renegotiate, but he had gotten a phone call the night before from the CFO uh, at ABC, a guy from the CFO's office, who said, you didn't hear this from me. He was a friend of a friend. But they're going to hang a nun in the marketplace, and it's going to be Suzanne. So the next morning when Alan left for the um, meeting at the lawyer's office at ABC, he stopped uncharacteristically and he looked back at me and he said, you know, this could all blow out of the water. And I said, no, it's a negotiation. You'll tell them what we want. They'll counter. We'll come back. They'll counter and we'll meet in the middle. And so now there were no cell phones then. Imagine. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sitting at home pretty anxious and I hear the front door open very slow. And I hear him paddling up the stairs very slow. You know, if it's good you already news, know his thoughts at this point? Uh, pardon me? Did you already know his thoughts at this point? Uh, I'm listening to the rhythm. And I'm thinking, if it's good news, you're going to run up the stairs, aren't you? And you're padding up the stairs. So I meet him at the landing. And he looks at me. And he said, you're out. I said, I'm out. He said, you were fired within two minutes after I walked in the room. That was the plan today. They need to make uh, an example of you so no other woman will have the audacity to ask me, hey, commensurate with the men. And then he said something very interesting. He held me by the shoulders and he said, we're going to make this work for us. And something in the way he said it, I thought, okay. And he said, for starters, we're not going to work for anyone ever again. And if we do, we're going to work for them, but we won't need it. And that's exactly what happened. By the time I did step by step, I, I, I loved having the job. But if I got fired, it didn't matter. I had so much other stuff going. I was, you know, a headliner in Vegas and writing books and starting my life as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. And yeah. obviously that was a blessing in disguise. And I love yeah. I love what he said to you right there at that moment, because you could have easily been very dejected and maybe went down a different path. But you guys yeah. are supposed to use that as inspiration and so forth. So I love that. It's such a valuable message to the audience. Yeah. And, and Yeah, he found the good. Yeah, and that's what you have to do in life because like, there's always going to be challenges. No one's exempt from that, but it's our attitude that we can control. Right, that's all we can control. Yeah, and, and the truth of the matter is I could talk to you for five hours, but I want to jump around a little bit just to respect your time. When did the thigh master thing start happening? Shortly after being fired... I bought a pair of Manolo Blahnik shoes. They were $565. And they By the way, I got to tell you, you're the best storyteller ever. The way you <laughs> is unbelievable. Thank you. The shoes were absolutely plain. 
they had, can you hand me that shoe behind you right there, that sparkly one? Um, they, they had a pointy toe and toe cleavage, just like I like, and a high arch and a high heel. Kind of like this, only they weren't they weren't jeweled. Ooh, those gems. Yeah, now this is the shoe, only my daughter can't stop jeweling things, and she put the jewels all over it. But it was this. It was the pointy toe and the high heel and the right arch, and they made my legs look amazing. So I'm standing in my dressing room in my bra and underpants, thinking, looking at my new shoes, and I thought, Alan's going to think I'm so stupid for spending $565 on a pair of perfectly plain shoes so i walk out in my underwear and i said how do you like my new shoes and he went great legs and then we both went oh my god that's the thigh master commercial so when when we did the thigh master commercial because we were looking for a hook for it they started the camera started on my feet in those shoes i panned up my legs all the way up while alan was off camera he's got a great radio voice he's going great legs and um (laughs) We sold 10, 10 million thigh masters and counting. <laughs> you were the face of the thigh master, and you still are. You will always be, and that'll be a legacy for you. Um, so many other things that you have going on. I was going through customs in Paris, and um, the TSA guy, or maybe the customs guy, is looking at me and looking at my passport, looking at me, looking at my passport, and I'm thinking, oh, God, what? And he looks down again, he looks at me, he goes, thigh master? <laughs> I thought, I thought, that's it. All the stuff I've done, I'm going to be known as the Thigh Master Lady or Thigh Master. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But but that was that, that was iconic. It's, it still is iconic. It is. It is. And it works. Yeah. I, I've got them all over the house here. I, I, uh, I, I actually use mine every day. That's why I can wear short shorts at my age. It's one of the many reasons why you're in tip-top shape. <laughs> I love it. So for, and again, like I said, I could talk to you for hours, but I want to be, I want to jump around. When did you transition to Vegas and not only go to Vegas, but become the top attraction there? After I was fired, I couldn't get a job. I was considered um, trouble, which I wasn't. And but the no ne- wanted, right? they wanted to make an example. Yeah. And so no network would hire me for anything. And, um, uh, so Alan, I said to Alan, Why don't we, I want, I've always wanted to do Vegas. Uh, and I, it was a childhood dream. My dream as a child was I'd be on a big stage because I always felt so bad for my mom. I'd be on a big stage and it was sold out house. And I could see my mother right down in front because she had this white hair and she was finally proud and happy. And that happened. I said to Alan, you know, can you make me a deal in Vegas? So he went to all the hotels and um, ended up at the MGM Grand Hotel. And everybody wanted to offer me two weeks and kept saying, I, I want two years. And they're all going, we don't know if she can do it. Well, I know Suzanne and she can do it. And finally, at the MGM Grand, there was a guy by the name of Bernie Rothkopf, which was a kind of rough and tough kind of mafia guy. And Alan said he reminded him of all his uncles who weren't mafia, but they were rough and tough kind of. You know, talk out of the sides, sides of their mouth kind of guys. And, yeah, and uh, um, oh, my cat's trying to get in here. Hi, Gloria. Let her in. She, she, you, you see, you don't know cats. They only do what they want to do. Oh, okay. You can't say come here or jump or anything like that. It's like if they feel like. Yeah. <laughs> They'll probably do the opposite of what you want. 
Probably, probably. Yeah, she's she's peeking at us, but she's not going to come. But anyway, so he made the two-year deal at the MGM Grand Hotel, and I sold out on the first night. Got great reviews. Of and um, and then I was there for you know, I did it for a, a couple of decades, but probably uh, a decade in Vegas, and then went on the road. In the summers, brought my kids on the road. We'd have all. I loved it. I just loved it. I hated giving it up when step by step came. You know, a calling. It meant I had to back off almost completely on live performing, and it was a hard decision to make. But um, it was the right decision. And you know, Patrick Duffy was my other great husband. <laughs> you know, just connecting the dots from the beginning of this conversation when I asked you what makes you feel the most alive, I think you said performing. So, like, for you to say, just like reading your face and like how much that meant to you doing the Vegas thing, like you have that now, like in your repertoire as an anchor. Like, if God forbid you were ever in a rut or having a day, you can yeah. always bring yourself back to that exhilarating time and oh, yeah. elevate your state. It's very obvious. It's contagious about you as you're speaking about it right now. Yeah, it's it, it's. Uh, there's nothing more fun if if you are in your stuff. If you don't know what you're doing, there's nothing more horrifying. And maybe the first couple of times I did it, but once I figured out, uh, you know, how to read an audience, and that you get better and better and better and better and better at it, and uh, everything about you gets better. And um, I, I I love it. I'm supposed to do that. That was. After my show in Vegas, Barry Manilow came and they interviewed him after and he said, she belongs on a Vegas stage and he doesn't give compliments easily. That's quite the compliment. And then you ended up winning Female Performer of the Year out there? Yep. And along with Frank Sinatra, who was Male Performer of the Year. How about that? (laughs) That's because I was singing from my peak. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's right and it doesn't get bigger than him at that time and oh, unbelievable. Man. there are there are a few men i've met in my career who all have this same thing alan hamill has it that's what i responded to it's uh they turn on men and turn on women men get bromancy around these men alan hamill johnny carson um frank sinatra and tom ford when men are around Tom Ford, they get giddy. And when women are around Tom Ford, they get giddy. And it's because of that thing. It. It's it. That indescribable it. The it factor. Yeah. 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 But those three, those are men. Those are men. You know, I love men. Understood. I love the way you articulated that. It's so true. Like, guys get giddy around them and the girls, you know, can't keep yeah. their hands off them. That's a pretty cool trait. That's a special type of guy right there. Yeah. 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 I know what you're thinking. You're asking yourself, how's this guy's hair on such fire? How is it so nice and thick? I want to tell you about the hottest hair styling product line. The brand is called Ryan Scott. I've been using this styling cream and shampoo and conditioner for about a year now, and I can tell you it's absolutely on fire. There's a few things that set it apart from the competition. Number one, the smell is amazing. It's a fresh fragrance of aloe, cucumber, and grapefruit. When I'm working out or on a run, the product doesn't irritate me. In fact, it's invigorating. These products can take you from the bench to the boardroom. Ryan Scott, the founder, is a dear friend of mine, and we're offering exclusively the CLS Universe a special promo. Enter code CLS. Thank me later. 
I want to talk about something that you often talk about, Suzanne, because I think it's so important for the audience and will get so much value out of it. You often talk about the power of forgiveness. I think a lot of people struggle with this. Well, if, if you can't forgive, then it or them or they win. And that was, that's why I wrote the first book about growing up with a violent alcoholic, um, Keeping Secrets, uh, which I still have people come up to me today and say, talk about that book, how it affected them. But I remember saying in that book, forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. My dad did not grow up and say, I, when, I, when I'm an adult, I want to be a violent alcoholic and uh, terrorize my wife and kids. Nobody wants to do that. I think what kept him drinking day after day was feeling so bad about what happened the night before. It just never felt good in his skin. And um, when I really figured out when I was writing Keeping Secrets, how awful it must be to live with those demons. Because I, I, I've got things in my past that I so wish I hadn't done or said. We all and do. We all do. And you wish you could just erase that and, and have that go away. And, um, uh, and then I thought about my dad, how awful it must be to have to live with all those demons. And then have his daughter write a book about it and then have his daughter produce the movie on the, um, on it. But he, he was sober by that time and he let me do it. And I think that took a lot of balls on his part. And then I took the whole family on the Phil Donahue show, which was a big talk show at that time. And before the show, I took Phil aside and I said, this is my family. He goes, I know. I go, no, you don't. It's my family. I mean, this is like such a, 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 a dark secret that we've had all our lives. He goes, I know. So we're all sitting on the dais and the theme music comes up and then Phil Donahue says, well, meet the Mahoney's. They had one heck of a drinking problem because my sister was alcoholic, my brother was alcoholic, my younger brother was an alcoholic and a drug addict. And um, Phil looks at my dad and he says, so your name being Mahoney might have something to do with your drinking problem, huh? And my dad said, yeah. And my grandmother's name was Donahue. (laughs) (laughs) He was funny as hell. (laughs) Terrific. What do you say back to that? Well, then the audience loved him, you know, then then he could sit there and talk honestly about what it was like, what it became and what it's like now, which is the whole purpose behind AA. Our whole family recovered except my younger brother. My younger brother didn't make it, which is too bad. Yeah. Happens. Yeah. And, and just to acknowledge your family for, you know, fighting it and acknowledging it and wanting to work through it. You have yeah. to want to and so forth. And everybody forgave themselves. Everybody forgave one another. And um, uh, the fact that the book and the movie helped so many people. And then I went, I went on the lecture circuit and I was the original mover and shaker in the adult children of alcoholics movement. Because the adult children of alcoholics didn't have a title. You know, if you're an alcoholic, you know what to do. But what about those of us uh, who, who didn't drink alcoholically? It, we're not okay. I wasn't okay. And uh, sorry about my phone. Um, but that's what, when I was lecturing, that's what kept coming up. The people were coming in droves because they were trying to figure out, I didn't drink and yet I'm all screwed up and my life is all screwed up and I have low self-esteem. And, and so it really, uh, everything, everything. I had the perfect father, the perfect childhood, perfect everything because I learned from every single one of those episodes. 
so deep and so special. Uh, I don't know, we just get through the gate. I'm sorry. That's okay, Suzanne. I guess the speaker was on. <laughs> My uh, manicurist is here. <laughs> Understood. Yep. And and so you see, so you said something along the lines of this, like forgive and make peace with it, or else you might miss out on your purpose. Did I say that? That's a good thing to say, and I agree with that. That's uh, we're we're here to find our we're we're, we're we're here to find our purpose, and very few people uh, go to the grave knowing it about themselves. Who yeah. am I? And what do I want? So true. Yeah. And also, like I know you're big on feeding your brain with positives and so forth, and you battled breast cancer, and yeah. and obviously that you're thriving and you pow, got pow, through pow. that. Yeah. What's that? Pow pow pow. Pow, pow, pow. Exactly. And my father's going through cancer now and it sucks. It's no fun. But one thing that I know that I can control is to always keep him upbeat and positive because I I believe that's so important, even when you're battling something like cancer and so forth. Do you attribute that? Was that a big deal? He has lung cancer and it sucks. He never even smoked a cigarette. Uh, uh, He's battling. I'm so sorry. Thank you, Suzanne. He's fighting. I keep him positive. Yeah. Well, that will help a lot. Yeah, and it helped you, I imagine, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, um, I'm going to beat this, and I'm not going to do it their way. Suzanne, thank you so much for saying that. It gives me a ton of confidence, as obviously you've been through the situation. Truth of the matter is, I wish we had 10 hours today. Thank you so much for the time today. You know how much I appreciate you. And the audience is going to fall in love with you in two seconds in case they don't already know you. Where can they hang out with you? Where can they support you? Where can they follow you? Uh, SuzanneSummers.com. Go to my Facebook page and Instagram. uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and have a tequila with me. I sit and drink tequila for an hour and I I talk about stuff like this. And I have an organic product line and thigh masters and books and you know, I never know where it's going to go, and they love it. They come, and they, it's like with you. I just get a new and bigger audience every day that I do it. So it's I a new that. world. We all learn to um, uh, survive in the pandemic. 100%. And the last thing I want to say to you, so much love and respect for you. You don't shy away from your challenges as they've shaped you. It's something I find so relatable and liberating. You are the definition of resilience, grit, and heart, from learning how to survive and thrive in your childhood to betting on yourself and then flying after your role as Chrissy Snow came to an end. You've cultivated your own path, your beacon of light, power, strength, impacting billions of lives worldwide. You're wow. a role model, a shining star to anyone going through adversity. Your mindset and perspective is beautiful and bulletproof. I could personally guarantee your best is yet to come. You're someone I respect so much. I have so much love for. Keep spreading those wings, and I'll continue to spread your message into my final breath, Suzanne. I'm a big advocate of yours and a huge fan. Thank you so much. What a beautiful thing to say. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Suzanne. Continued success. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow me on Instagram at Craig Siegel underscore CLS, the YouTube channel Craig Siegel, and our website, CultivateLastingSymphony.com, where you could sign up for our email blast all free trainings on all of our content. The best is yet to come.